If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here. And I have a four-year-old son. His name is Ryder, and a seven-year-old daughter, Sophie. And all week, um, I would text pictures to Ryder's babysitter to say, look, look at the dinosaur we're building. And I sent him that one out there, and he's like, it's just a spine right now. I'm not that impressed. And so we sent him a final picture, and he's like, it's amazing. I was like, Yes, we got the approval of a four-year-old dino expert. Here we go. Come on. Ryder's favorite dinosaur is the Indominus Rex. And you may be asking yourself, what is an Indominus? I'm glad you asked. It's a combination of a T-Rex, a Gigantosaurus, a Carnotaurus, a Velociraptor, and then just a few others all mixed together to make the ultimate dinosaur in the Jurassic World universe. Its name in Latin means untamable king. It also means impossible to defeat. The best of the best. And this series is all about God's grace, which is untamable, impossible to defeat, overflowing, a force greater than anything else. Come on. Have you guys seen Jurassic World Dominion? Anybody out there? I have not seen it yet. I'm trying to decide whether to take our kids or not, or if it will give them nightmares. I'll let you know how that goes. Today's message is called Grace Dominion. It's all about how grace dominates every time. But what is grace? I mean, we say amazing grace, and we maybe say grace over meals. Have you ever thought about what grace actually is? Well, I have some thoughts for you, and you might just want to close your eyes and just let God speak to you as I share these with you. Grace is the love of God that comes to us through Jesus and empowers us to be who God made us to be. Grace leaves us better than it found us. Grace is what the unconditional love of God looks like from our side. It's God reaching down and gathering you in his arms. Grace is God blessing you with himself for no other reason than it makes him happy to do that. Grace is the confident assurance that with God on your side, you can't lose. It's his strength for today. It's hope for tomorrow. It's freedom from guilt and condemnation and shame. It's freedom from the need to prove yourself. Grace is permission to be yourself. Grace is being adopted into God's family. It's being his son or daughter. It's being a co-heir with Jesus. Grace is God honoring us with his presence. It's the adventure of a lifetime with Jesus. It's favor, freedom, forgiveness, power, healing, prosperity, and all of God's promises. Grace is Jesus. Grace is all of God's blessings wrapped up together in the one who is full of grace. Grace is the gift of all gifts from the giver of all givers. Like I said, grace is overflowing and impossible to defeat. Come on. Grace existed from the very beginning of time. In Genesis 1, God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything perfectly. And verse 27 says, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. I love that. God created us to reflect his nature. He created you to reflect his nature. If you look around this room, all of these people of hope were reflecting his nature. You can see him in this room. We were created in his image, not because we did anything to deserve it. In fact, we did not have a say. Verse 28, God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. 
God blessed us. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion. Rule over everything else. He gave us something to do. He gave us purpose. Verse 29, God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. He says, I gave you vegetables. I gave you fruit. All of this to say, God created a perfect world. He filled it with goodness. He gave us purpose. And then he gave us everything in it. Everything. And what did we do to deserve it? Nothing. That's grace. What did we do to earn it? Nothing. That's grace. All of our good food, you know how food tastes amazing? Some foods are like, wow, that's so good, that must be a sin kind of thing. He created it for us. He didn't have to create food to taste good. It could have just been everything tastes like rice. No, it has flavor. He created seasons for us to enjoy, the winter and the summer and the spring and the fall, all the differences for our enjoyment. We could have just had one season. He created our beautiful weather this weekend. He created the scenery. He created the mountains. He created the lakes. He created the white, sandy beaches that we like to vacation to. Everything he created, he created for us to enjoy. We could have gotten by without so many of those things. If he wanted to create us with just the basics, he could have. But that's not what he did. He created a world with more for us to enjoy than we can experience. Wow, wrap your head around that. More for us to enjoy than we could ever experience. And that's what grace is. Far more than enough, never just enough. Every blessing that we have in our lives is because of God's grace. You think about your family, your spouse, your kids, your house, your car, your happiness, your job, each breath. That's evidence of God's grace to you. So God created man and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Just me and man, you know? There's more available to him. There's a different capacity for love and intimacy that man cannot get just with God. So God created Eve just because he cared about Adam. He wanted him to have a partner. He could have just made Adam, but grace goes so far above the minimum. God created them. He put them in paradise. He gave them purpose, and he gave them the gift of free will, the ability to choose to love God back because love isn't love without free will. And he only had one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of it, you'll die. That's it. Unlimited freedom. One rule to keep humanity from getting hurt. When people hear about God and they think about church, they think, I don't want to go there. They have rules. If you follow Jesus, there's tons of rules. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. God is a God of freedom. He created us. He asked for nothing in return from us. He has everything for us, for our enjoyment. Come on. He had one guideline to protect us because he loves us. In the beginning, there was grace, there was paradise, there was perfection. And there was one choice, to believe in God's goodness and believe what he said or not. And that's still our choice today. Everything you hear about God boils down to one decision. Do we believe it? or not. So Satan was in the garden. He was disguised as a serpent. He came up to Eve and he said, did God really say you shouldn't eat the, the fruit of that tree? And she's like, yeah, he said, we shouldn't eat of it. We shouldn't even touch it. We'll die. And verse 4, Genesis 3, 4, he says, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
wait a second, we're already created in God's image. We're created to reflect his nature. She's already like him. So she's here enjoying everything that God created, knowing he'd never held back from her. And then she meets the serpent, who she has no track record with. The serpent didn't create anything good. And he lied to her. He deceived them because they were created godlike already. But he made them think, ah, God's holding out on you. You're not like him. And if you eat this, you'll be like him. And he won't like that. She believed a lie instead of believing what God said. And it's really easy for us to judge her, but we often do the same thing too. God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we believe lies about our identity and we don't like ourselves. But that's not the truth of who we are. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're a masterpiece. God says he'll keep us in perfect peace when we trust in him. But sometimes we believe, ah, I think I need to worry about some stuff because that'll help me control the situation. No, 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 no. He'll keep us in perfect peace. God says he loves us. And we still believe the lie that we're unlovable. That lie that the enemy's feeding us. That's not from God. He loves us. That's the thing about the enemy. He doesn't try to make you believe things that are completely ridiculous. He just distorts the truth a little bit. He makes you think God's holding out on you when actually God's already given you more than enough. He makes you think, you know, you should believe some gossip about other people because it could be possible. He gets you to waste your time in your search for specks in other people's eyes when all the while the plank in your eye is poisoning you. The enemy tells you, oh, something's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt you. Just this one time. God says, raise up a standard. Have boundaries so that you don't get hurt, so that you thrive. The enemy blames God for the accident that happened, the disease that wasn't healed, the break that never came. And if we don't know any better, we blame God too. Adam and Eve, they made a choice not to trust what God said, not to trust his integrity or his intentions or his actions or his nature or his faithfulness or the evidence of his goodness all around them in paradise, but to trust the words of the enemy. They broke the one rule of garden living. They ate of the fruit and everything in creation was poisoned in that moment, poisoned by death and decay. God's heart from the beginning was for us to dominate to rule and to reign, but we, sh- we exchanged our dominion for a piece of bad fruit. It's such an uneven exchange, but that's what sin is. It's settling for so much less than we've been created for. God hates sin because it hurts us, because he loves us, because he wants us to thrive and have the best life. He hates sin because it hurts people and he loves people. He created life to be fun and life to be to the fullest extent. There is not one part of creation that the consequences of Adam and Eve's decision did not touch. It was a colossal mess. It was like Jurassic Park where all the dinosaurs get out and nobody can contain it. It's like one of those messes where you don't even know where to start cleaning up. I was thinking about this one time my son threw up and he ran to the bathroom to throw up and he threw up right on the floor. At least he got in the bathroom. But the throw up was so intense that it spattered up onto the walls. So it was like on the shower curtain and the walls and the sink and everywhere and on himself. It was such a big mess. And I was like, oh. And it just so happened that day that we had run out of paper towels. So I texted my husband a picture of the mess. And I said, could you please pick up some paper towels? We need them a lot today. 
and I picked up my son and I cleaned him up. I got him new clothes and I closed the door on that mess until his dad got home with our cleaning supplies. But I love how God did the same thing with Adam and Eve. He didn't just leave them in their mess to fend for themselves like, well, good luck. You didn't listen to the one rule and now everything's a mess. See ya. No, he pursued them. They were naked, they realized, and so they hid. They knew they messed up. They knew they broke the rule, and they were ashamed. So they tried to sew some fig leaves together. That didn't work the best because they still had to hide. They were trying to cover up their nakedness, their shame, and their guilt. But God went to them. He found them, and he cleaned them up. He sacrificed some animals in their place to cover the shame that they felt when they knew they were naked. He had a better way. Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The cost of sin is death, and in their place, he killed an animal to cover them. This is the first time that blood was shed because of sin. Adam and Eve were probably horrified, like, we did not know that was going to happen. But God explains later that this is how forgiveness happens. First through animals, in Leviticus 17.11, he says, I provided the blood for you to make atonement for your lives on the altar. It's the blood the life that makes atonement. This is God's system of restoring people from sin. But the blood of animals only lasted until the next sin. So the people were sacrificing lots of animals because they're human and we make mistakes. But God provided the blood of Jesus to be our once and for all solution to sin. Come on. (laughs) Hebrews 9.22 puts it like this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So if you've ever thought, why did Jesus have to die? This is why. Jesus was God's plan for mankind from the beginning. It was a plan that was put into action in the Garden of Eden when God covered Adam and Eve with garments from animals. So he cleaned them up, but the consequences of their mess still existed. They still exist today because sin always has natural consequences. It's not things that God makes happen, but it's consequences of our choices. Romans 8.21 says, The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So because of Jesus, we have a way to be free, but creation is still decaying and experiencing the effects of the fall. A broken world is all that we've ever experienced that. Can you imagine that? That's all we've ever known. But there's so much more. This is not what God intended for us or for our world. So hundreds of years later, God chose a man named Abram a man in his 70s with no kids, no qualifications, someone who didn't know him. He went to Abram and he said, I choose you to bless all the people of the earth through. Genesis 12:1. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Curse those, those who curse you. I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Just like Adam, God was blessing Abram simply because he wanted to. What did Abram do to deserve it? Nothing. What did Abram do to earn it? Nothing. He had never heard of God. I mean, Adam knew God created everything. Abram didn't even know that. So he just appears to Abram and says, go to this land I'm telling you about. I'm going to bless you. And Abram says, okay, I believe you. He leaves everything he knows for a God that he just met. I love that faith. You don't have to have been following Jesus forever in order to be blessed. Just follow where he leads you. Whether you've known him your whole life, yes, or you're meeting him for the first time today, follow him. 
Have the faith to follow where he leads you and he will bless you. So along the way, Abram made some mistakes. He lied. He told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister because she was really hot and he was afraid Pharaoh was going to kill him. And so God made it clear to Pharaoh, hey, Abram lied. Let her go. Um, Then he became very rich. Then he rescued his nephew Lot, who was captured, and he received all this plunder. He returned a tenth of that plunder to God through Melchizedek, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. His wife, Sarai, she was getting impatient about them having children because they're old. And so she's like, here, sleep with my servant so you can have a son. That made things really complicated. Um, Then, after all that, God made a covenant with Abram. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I love that. Unlike Adam and Eve, Abram believed God and got right standing with God even though he wasn't perfect, because it wasn't based on Abram, it was based on God. So what did Abram actually believe? He believed in God. He believed that God was good, that he had good things for him. He believed God was his shield and exceedingly great reward. So as a part of this covenant, God changed his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. I love that. When we connect to God, he changes us into who he created us to be. He helps us to know what's always been inside us because he's the one who put it there. So then Abraham, he goes and lies about his wife again. And another guy tried to marry her. And he says, yeah, she's my sister. And then God protected her from that guy. And then finally, Abraham had a son when he was 100 from Sarah. And God tested Abraham to see if Abraham would trust him with his son and Abraham did. And God continued to bless him. Genesis 25, 7 says he died happy at a ripe old age, full of years, and was buried with his family. That's Abraham's life in a nutshell. And we are children of Abraham, the Bible says. Just like Abram and Adam, God initiates a relationship with us, not because we earn it or deserve it, but because he loves us. He initiates and we respond by believing And we love him because he first loved us. Galatians 3, 7 says, Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ are like Abraham, children of faith? It was all laid out beforehand in Scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. That's us. Scripture anticipated this in the promise to Abraham. All nations will be blessed in you. So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham. And that means anyone who tries to live by his own effort independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. So what does all that mean? We're children of Abraham. We're blessed like Abraham because we live by faith. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. What did we do to earn it? Nothing. That's grace. When we try to live by our own effort, independent of God, when we try to go our own way, we fail. When we try to live perfectly, we always fall short. But when we believe in Jesus, he helps us succeed. When we believe in Jesus, our faith isn't based on us. It's based on him. And he's always more than enough. He's always full of grace. John 1.16 says, for of his fullness, we've all received and grace upon grace. From Jesus, we receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Another translation says, from the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. Past tense, we have already received them because of Jesus. 
When you come in contact with Jesus, who is filled by grace, you can't help but get splashed by grace. And not just a little grace, more than enough grace. It's like those giant tipping buckets when you go to um, like a water amusement park. Have you guys seen those? They're really tall at the top of everything and they have like an alarm that sounds like a bell. And as soon as that alarm sounds, people run under the bucket to get in the water. And I was actually under one of these with my kids and we couldn't even move because there was thousands of gallons of water all around us. We didn't help fill that bucket, but we sure did enjoy the flow. We just stepped right into it. Jesus' flow, it doesn't start and stop like that bucket. His grace is always flowing, and we just get in the flow of grace from Jesus to us, through us, for other people. And we're going to be talking about grace for other people next week. Make sure you bring someone with you, because we don't want anybody to miss out on God's grace. So the more you lean into Jesus and the flow of his grace, the more his blessings flow through you. We fill up on his grace, and it spills over onto everyone around us. But sometimes we step out of the flow because we think we're not good enough. We make a mistake. We start to condemn ourselves. We feel unworthy. But by the very nature of grace, we are unworthy. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We receive it. Stay in the flow. When you make a mistake, don't focus on your sin. Don't focus on the places where you missed the mark. Don't magnify that. Don't magnify the places you believe lies like Adam and Eve. Focus on God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Jesus became sin so we could become righteous. And just like Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, we believe in Jesus and we become righteous. I love Jesus. First, we belong in his presence, and then we believe what he says. And as we do that, we become the righteousness of God. He transforms us from the inside out. So Jesus became sin so our sins could be forgiven. And that's what mercy is, taking the punishment that we deserved. And we became righteousness. We get what we don't deserve. We get blessed, and that's grace. Grace is Jesus giving you credit for all his good works at the cross. He gave you the credit for all of his good works. He didn't just take on the penalty for our sin. He gave us credit for his righteousness. Come on, it is amazing grace. So what does that mean practically? When you're facing an addiction, when you're fighting with your spouse, when you're angry, remember, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The more you know who you are, the less you'll settle for anything else. Romans 5.20 says, But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Come on. It doesn't have a chance. When it's sin versus grace, that verse says, grace wins hands down. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. God is putting everything together again that was destroyed at the fall. He's putting it together through Jesus. And where sin increases, grace overflows all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. 
Sin is just a little bit. Grace is huge. Grace invites us to an overflowing life joined with Jesus. It wins hands down. Not even a question, not even a contest, not even a struggle. Grace wins every time. It doesn't run out. It's more than enough for whatever you're facing. Before you even took a breath, grace won. Before you did your first righteous act, your first good thing, grace won. Before you fell short, grace won. All of our sins were taken care of at the cross before we did any of them. Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, you're saying there's so much grace. Why should I not just do whatever I want? Verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? God gives us free will to live however we want. We can be like Eve and make choices that affect our whole life. But when you get to know Jesus, man, he changes you. He, want, he helps you thrive. Come on. When you get to know Jesus, you want to please him because it's the best life. At the cross, we got a new nature. He changed our want to. We became a new person. Our old nature lived to please our desires, but our new nature, it runs after Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We're new. We're different. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you don't settle for anything else. We were freed from sin at the cross, and we were introduced to a better way of life. Why would we want to go back to anything else? When you know that you're blameless and free, you don't want to do stuff that hurts your life or hurts other people. You're clean. You're spotless. You're made whole. You don't want to get back in the mud of the pig pen. That's not who you are. But until you actually believe it, you'll think that you deserve that mud instead of the flow of the bucket of grace. And you'll never be able to get out of it on your own. The flow of grace of God through you changes you. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're a child of God. Grace empowers you to take dominion. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under grace. Jesus restored the dominion that we lost at the Garden of Eden. We're under grace. Sin has no power over us. The grace of God flowing through us, that empowers us to live. It transforms our want to. It makes us want to serve Jesus, want to spend time with him, want to trust him financially, want to love our family like Jesus loves us. Instead of stepping out of the flow when we miss the mark, we want to go boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews 5, 4, 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus understands. He went through everything that we went through, and he did not sin. Verse 16, this is one of my favorites. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Come on. God wants us to run to him when we need help. Confident in him. Not run away from him like Adam and Eve. Not ashamed. Not feeling like we're not good enough or we're going to surprise him with something we've done. I've got news for you. You're not going to shock God. There's nothing new under the sun. 
You think you found a more creative way to sin than other people in history? You should read the Old Testament. Those people were really good at sinning. I mean, everything you can think of, they did it. And yet God pursued them. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less, just like there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Run to him to receive mercy, forgiveness, and to find grace that we don't deserve. We remember who he is. We focus on him. We don't focus on ourselves. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when we mess up, we can go to him and he purifies our unrighteousness. If we'll come to him and tell him about the things we need help with, he'll forgive us because he's so faithful. Not because of anything we do, but because of who he is. The next time you make a mistake, get in the flow of grace. Confess it to God instead of holding on to it so that you can get free. Then remind yourself of who you are because of Jesus. You know, when you sin, it takes no faith to know that you messed up. I mean, we don't even need to preach about sin. We have it within us to know, man, that hurts. Man, that's hard. What does take faith is reminding yourself that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The next time you fall short, go to God, confess it to him, and remind yourself who he says you are. Remind the enemy who he says you are. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am human, and he loves me the way I am, and I am his righteousness. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Even though we sometimes fall in our humanity, we rise because we are righteous because of Jesus. His grace changes us. This week, my son came to me crying. He had been working on some artwork for me. I don't know if you were here for other series, you've seen some of his artwork. Um, he was making some artwork in pen, and he made a mistake, and he grabbed a wet wipe because he's cleaned things with those before and he tried to blot out that mistake. And he came to me crying because in his efforts to clean it up, he had ripped a hole in the paper. So now he had his mistake and an even bigger mess that he made that just made it worse. And it really broke my heart because he was just trying to do his best. He was trying to fix it on his own, but he couldn't. When he came to me, I took him in my arms and I had him on my lap, I just held him. I wiped away his tears, and I gave him a brand new piece of paper. That's all he needed, but it's something that he couldn't do on his own. He reminded me of Adam and Eve trying to sew fig leaves together to cover up their sin. It wasn't enough, but God did what they could not. He covered them, and he had plans for a better solution through Jesus. And because of Jesus, we all get the same choice that Adam and Eve had, the choice to trust in God, or trust ourselves, to let him cover our sin by the blood of Jesus and make us new, or to keep trying in our own power. But that's like using a wet wipe on paper. It just doesn't work. When we trust God, we receive an abundant life of grace. And when we don't, we just remain separated from him. Your freedom is a big deal to him. He gave Adam and Eve the freedom to choose. He knew what they would do. He knew that it would cost him his son, Jesus. He wants us to choose him because that's how love works. 
If you don't have a choice, it's not love.